Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, and gather around because this is the Northern Miner Podcast Roundup Edition for 2018. Uh, as usual, we are brought to you by the Yukon Mining Alliance. Please do hop over to yukonminingalliance.ca to check out all the exciting exploration and development activity going on in Canada's Yukon territory and yes indeed this is our exclusive 2018 roundup special with lots of content directly from the floor of both conferences the ame roundup and the vancouver resource investment conference uh, i have spent the last four days interviewing people non-stop you might hear it in my voice i was like sitting here trying to record the podcast i'm like oh no i think my voice might be going so i apologize if i'm sounding a wee bit gravelly this week it's not uh, aggregate in my throat i promise but let's dig right into it because uh, as the official media sponsor of Roundup, the Northern Miner has an absolute avalanche of content coming for you over the next couple weeks. So uh, I had a chance to sit down with some of the big voices in the industry during both conferences uh, to talk a little bit about, uh, as we have been, innovation, geology, uh, some of the big investment and finance themes people are hearing at the show and talking about on the floor. Uh, So we have a bunch of great content for you, a bunch of exclusive interviews uh, directly from the Vancouver Convention Center. So uh, let's dig right into it. Uh, I wanted to do a little bit of a news and notes. We'll talk a little bit about commodity prices. Uh, And I'll mention some of the major themes I heard. I had uh, quite a few conversations with uh, some of the big financiers in the business uh, talking about uh, the inflow of capital, uh, the state of generalist investment and stuff like that. So we'll dig into that. But first and foremost, let's talk a little bit about commodity prices uh, and just mention a few quick news and notes before we get into all our great conference content. Commodities were broadly higher today, with gold leading the charge towards a seven-month high as a weak dollar helped it to extend gains of around 10% since mid-December. BMO reported that gold has outperformed its expectations since the mid-December Fed rate increase. Uh, Gold is currently benefiting, BMO says, from a combination of geopolitical and economic tailwinds. Uh, Most recently, comments from Treasury Secretary Munchen supporting a weaker U.S. dollar. While BMO does see a March Fed rate hike and the rapid decline in the U.S. dollar tempering future gains, gains, it notes that gold equities have underperformed the metal and are now trading at early 2016 levels. BMO says that that is a clear buy signal that is starting to be noticed. Meanwhile, on the base metal side, zinc, nickel, and lead rallied to multi-year highs on Thursday on a softer dollar and steadily declining inventories in London Metal Exchange approved warehouses. It appeared that copper was the sole loser at the time of recording as it was down about half a percent at $3.21 per pound. Uh, Meanwhile, gold was trading at $1,360 per ounce, silver at $17.57 per ounce. Uh, On the other side, zinc at $1.58 per pound, and West Texas Intermediate Crude Oil continued to rally, hitting $65.93 per barrel at the time of recording. Finally, we wanted to touch on Caterpillar's latest retail statistics, which showed strength in equipment orders that continued through December. Uh, Resource industries jumped 50% during the month and accelerated to a record high. In terms of geographics, Latin America demonstrated the highest year-on-year growth for CAT, while Asia-Pacific and North America also showed impressive acceleration. Uh, Caterpillar said it is seeing uh, benefits from higher commodity prices and an apparent rally uh, in the mining space. So uh, good news from the equipment side on that one. We'll uh, dig into that a little bit further uh, in in uh, future episodes uh, in terms of what's sort of going on on the supplier and equipment side. Uh, so good news all around. Uh, in terms of what I'm hearing at Roundup uh, and uh, the VIR, VRIC, um, it's, it's quite interesting. I talked to a lot of the financial community, uh, and they're saying that uh, it's still tough to raise money. Uh, there's a lot of uh, capital inflows or prospective capital inflows 
they continue to be uh, be hijacked by cryptocurrencies, by marijuana, uh, by pot deals, etc. So uh, they haven't seen that huge sort of generalist inflow yet uh, into the mining space, as we did note from the BMO uh, research update. However, uh, that those equities have been uh, showing a little bit of signs of life, especially on the precious metal side. They were talking a little bit about gold equities underperforming the metal price, uh, and you're hearing that a lot around the conferences that there is significant room for value add in mining equities because they uh, have yet to really reflect some of those price increases we've seen across the metal price indexes. So uh, you aren't quite seeing that uh, 1360 gold price baked into a lot of these uh, mining and expo especially exploration equities yet. Um, and I actually attended a talk by Sean Roizen, uh, the chairman and CEO of Osisco Gold Royalties, and he was mentioning... Um, it's especially difficult to raise money, and I think we all know this, uh, for exploration expenditures. Uh, and at Cisco, I was like looking at the statistics. Their group of companies drilled about 900,000 meters last year, and that's insane. Uh, but uh, he was talking about sort of uh, ways to finance and support that junior mining community. Uh, he also mentioned that it's still really tough uh, to get access to a lot of capital. Uh, and he actually mentioned an interesting point, uh, which I sat down and talked to a few people about, about passive versus active uh, portfolio investment and how passive funds like ETFs, etc., uh, have taken over over from those active portfolio managers and so uh, Sean was saying you can't really go into an office with a fund manager anymore and, and have access to a lot of money because a lot of it switched over to the passive side uh, and passive investments aren't necessarily conducive uh, to building mines to risk capital etc so it's, it's sort of interesting uh, that we're seeing uh, just structural change in the financial markets uh, is what uh, Cisco has sort of noticed in terms of how we finance uh, and support junior mining and how we finance generative exploration and if you want to read a bit more in depth about uh, Sean's talk at the AME Finance Lunch, uh, head over to northernminer.com. I got a big write up on it there, along with a few of the statistics Cisco provided in terms of what they're investing, how much they're drilling, etc. So it's a really, really cool little piece. Uh, and as always, please do consider subscribing. Hit that subscribe button over there. Uh, we do have uh, a screaming deal. It's about $200 for your digital and paper subscription. So it's, uh, it's great. Uh, and you get access to all those great comments uh, from industry leaders like Sean and everyone else who presented at the conference. And speaking of which, I love when a great segue comes together. We are going to continue this conversation on finance, on the junior markets, on generative exploration. Uh, I'm bringing in uh, so two of our favorite guests, uh, Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdar, the principals from Exploration Insight, industry-leading newsletter writers and geologists, uh, to talk a little bit about what they were hearing on the floor, the conversations they were having, uh, how their investment thesis might uh, be shifting, changing, staying the same, uh, heading into 2018, and uh, just to, to chat about the broad mining community and sort of... Uh, what they were having uh, discussions about on the floor, uh, how they're feeling about things like gold, copper, nickel, uh, lithium, which uh, Brent had previously <laughs> told me he did avoid. But uh, if you want to learn why Brent and Joe are taking a second look at lithium uh, and uh, the battery metals, listen on ahead because uh, Joe and Brent do get into uh, why their thesis has changed a little bit on that lithium market. Uh, so it's a great conversation. I sat down and chatted with them for about 25 minutes uh, and it covers a broad range of things uh, moving into 2018 including metal prices, economic fundamentals, the state of junior markets, uh, the lack of discovery rates and the low exploration expenditures we've seen over the last couple of years. So it's a great conversation. So uh, I'm going to run this uh, little sit down with Brent and Joe from Exploration Insights and uh, I'll be back after the break. Thank you. 
and welcome back. Uh, today we're downtown Vancouver at the AME Roundup Conference, and I'm joined by uh, Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdor, the two principals from Exploration Insights. Thanks again for joining us, gentlemen. Thanks, Matt. And uh, it's uh, we're just wrapping up, obviously, the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference, easing our way into Roundup here. And uh, I wanted to start out with sort of a broad question, uh, because obviously this is sort of an early bellwether for what uh, the year might be looking like in capital markets and mining moving ahead uh, as we go towards PDAC and some of the, the bigger events. But I wanted maybe a little bit of retrospective, some reflection after VRIC, they're calling it now, um, what you guys were seeing out there and hearing in terms of maybe some of the major trends or themes for mining uh, heading into uh, 2018, or some of the, just the big conversations you had uh, on the floor there at the conference. It, in general, you know, I, I come up, I don't live here, so I come up every January for these shows. Mm-hmm. And it is always optimistic in Vancouver in January, <laughs> without a doubt. Yeah. And that lasts until about PDAC. Um, and then we'll see what happens. But I'm actually rather optimistic this year. I think Joe is too. And that we, what we've been saying for the past few years about the industry not finding enough economic deposits to replace with their mining, that's starting to show up in a lot of ways in terms of them majors and mid-tier companies putting money into juniors and joint ventures uh, and that sort of thing. So it, big picture, I'm reasonably optimistic. Joe? Yeah, I, I, I'm Absolutely, and especially in the exploration stage, commodity agnostic, mm-hmm. there's just that same pattern of uh, no grassroots exploration. So when I gave my talk yesterday, I was talking about the lack of grassroots exploration and the downward trend in that since 2003, and uh, uh, the fellow from uh, S&P Global talked about the same issue with copper uh, in uh, the next presentation. So we see this being a multi-commodity issue. Oh, it's, it certainly is, and you hear you hear about discovery rates. I think that's been a really common theme across both conferences. You've seen that a lot, and I mean, um, so now that you're looking maybe at your investment thesis with that in mind, obviously there. The other thing I hear is there's a lot of the, the things that do exist happen to be lower grade, maybe uh, higher capex things that are still out there that were there from the previous cycle. Do you start valuing those things differently? I mean, it takes a while to make discoveries. So do you do you see those things that maybe we thought of previously as marginal deposits suddenly becoming a bit more attractive because there's just no discovery rates. Well, we're seeing changes in cutoff grade, yeah. and some people were showing us, you know, here, here's what these guys mine, but they used X cutoff grade, yeah. we're using Y, yeah. and look what's left. Yeah. So before when they left, it was a little bit, now, wow, there's a lot more. So we are seeing that in terms of, you know, because the gold price has, has gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, the, the issue in the end is grassroots is about finding something new, mm-hmm. and the majors like exploration that's lower risk so they tend to do brownfields and late stage stuff and less grassroots because they see that as a cost center Mm -hmm. and i think our experience over the years has been that these marginal what had been marginal assets as the metal price rises so do most of your input costs and i don't know maybe i don't know what a low percentage of those actually come on and and will make good money Mm -hmm. Uh, because whatever problems they had to start with those problems haven't gone away. That's the reason they shut down. Yeah. So we're seeing that, and I think there's a know, 20, 25% of those might work. Mm-hmm. But again, it, it's really what these companies need are large economic discoveries, or at least what look appear to be economic discoveries with a large land package that they can see their future in. So our, our issue as well is that we want somebody else to buy it. We don't want them to build it. Yeah. Um, so it's got to be exceptional. 
mm-hmm. exceptional in size, exceptional in grade. Something's got about it has to stick out to people going, wow, this is going to get taken out. And that's what we need. And uh, what we want to see these people do is drill and build resources and de-risk the principal issues somebody would have, whether it's metallurgy, whether it's infrastructure or a permit or a, you know, local something that a major would want to know before they got into it. We need them to spend the money doing that. But other than that, you know, a PEA is nice. We don't want them to do a PFS or a feasibility yeah. study yeah. or you know, sort of talk to the uh, market saying that we'll build it and if somebody buys us out, oh great, sort of thing. Yeah, well, it's funny. A few things that I heard uh, in my travels over these shows is, A, that, that permits are suddenly worth a bit more money because of how risky, the, not just the risky jurisdictions, quote-unquote, for places that are, you know, in terms of resource nationalism and things, but even Canada where, you know, it can be geographically sensitive on permitting. So a lot of companies are saying, you know, permits are worth a lot more than they used to be just because of that risk factor. And the other thing um, that I wanted to talk about a little bit is availability of capital. Because it's interesting, you talked about the majors um, coming in and, and maybe helping out a little bit with that exploration budget. Because let's be honest, Greenfield isn't cheap. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, uh, making these discoveries is not cheap. Um, how are you, or what are you hearing about, let's say, the availability of capital outside of the majors? Let's say from the you know, retail sector or from a different alternative. Like, where is this money going to come from, do you think, for, for some of this really needed Greenfield work? Um, I mean, getting back to your point, I mean, well, like uh, out of the financings that happened yesterday, 50% of the juniors were financed by majors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so now you're talking about the other 50%. And uh, we're seeing a lot of uh, interest by retail in these stories. Okay. You know, uh, good and bad, mm-hmm. probably someplace too much interest. Yeah. Um, but also we're seeing, you know, private equity come in. Okay. Now there was a talk yesterday by a large private equity group that's now going into the higher risk component okay. with less money but yeah. taking a lot of lottery ticket bets on juniors so mm-hmm. maybe we see a trend there with private equity actually funding the grassroots stuff now yeah uh, with placement so that's been a component that's come in as well and Brent I'd be interested in, in a little bit of maybe on the US side um, in terms of uh, anything you're hearing in terms of the investment climate in the US uh, when it comes to all commodities I mean we hear so much about Trump and uh, the effect he might have on on uh, the economy but also on things like permitting and stuff like that is is there a sort of a movement maybe towards more retail interest in in bulk commodities down there I don't know if there's any real increased interest in in the metal sector from from retail Mm. investors or or large funds either the fund the flow of funds is still not coming into the sector out of New York and Chicago and San Francisco but permitting has gotten easier the sagegrass issue in, in Nevada seems to have gone away and that's that's a positive so permitting is, is getting a bit easier in the states um, but I'm not seeing that reflected in, in terms of the retail interest in this sector I mean mining in the US is a, such a small percentage of anything uh, they're all into cryptocurrencies yeah. you know whatever's hot yeah and, and the stock market has been going great as well so yeah. the real concern I've got is that things have been going so you know the stock market has been going up what 12 uh, 10 years now 10 yeah. years yeah. it's on a rise um, and things are priced to perfection and I'm, I'm concerned what's going to happen if if Trump gets pushed into a corner with this Mueller investigation yeah. or something like that that the guy is unstable and it's it's a big question as to what what he'll wreck. Will he 
whatever he does trigger a financial meltdown or a crash or something. So that's a concern. And it's been interesting that the, the U.S. dollar's been falling yeah. the past few weeks as well. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting. That tells you something of what the rest of the world is starting to think as well. Well, it's interesting because I think what um, I talked to a lot of people on the institutional side, Joe probably talks to the same people, is a lot of them were surprised by how strong the industrial complex was last year and some of these real GDP numbers we saw in terms mm. of growth. Um, and apparently, I, I was just reading something that uh, they're seeing that in the U.S. now in terms of real wage growth, too. So you're seeing some... There's inflation. Right, There's right. definitely inflation yeah. coming. Uh, and so in terms of gold, even though we'll see potentially three interest rate hikes, the real interest rates might stay negative, yeah. and they look to stay negative. So, so money's still cheap right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a really good presentation yesterday by uh, Martin Murenbeld on, on yep. gold, and he's quite positive in terms of his... Uh, forecast for gold, and he's actually thinking that the U.S. dollar has peaked and okay. is going the turning a corner. And mm-hmm. he was saying that uh, you know gold at this stage tends to have a bit of a run up. Mm-hmm. So if we see that, then your question about how these some of these grassroots guys get financed, the gold ones will get financed in we'll that kind of environment. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, I, I think if you want to talk a little bit about base base metals, I mean, we've heard so much about copper, the copper story, uh, specifically because they finally think this huge copper supply wall is actually coming now in terms of, you know, Cobra Panama is coming online this year, Grasberg's hitting peak production this year, and then after that, you're basically looking at a scenario. Yeah, probably about 2020, 2022, we might see, you know, your peak copper production. What I like about copper is not only the supply side scenario, but this pull potentially from batteries. Because yeah. we're, you know, we, okay, we believe in the electric vehicle market because it's, been, it's not a U.S. story. It's a, it's a Europe and Chinese, China story. Yeah. You know, and, and so if you take that story and what they're mandating to build, you know, uh, copper is one thing they'll need, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of to conduct all this electricity. So copper, for the long term, we, we're, we're very bullish on that one. But there's like... Like even the copper, like I've been talking to a few people at the copper producers at the at the major level, and it's like there's nothing there. Exactly. Like there's nothing for them to buy. I mean, in, 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 so in your opinion, like we see that a lot in the gold space. I, I hear so much about majors investing in juniors in the gold space, but I haven't heard this story so much in base, like these JVs or these equity placements in base. Is this coming? There, there have been there a have few, been? but they're yeah. really small grassroots ones. Yeah. I, I've seen one with, uh, you know. Rio Tinto Rio. and Kaba, things yeah. like that. Yeah, so all the small, yeah. yeah. They're very small, yeah. and they're sort of like, okay, we hit three holes, okay, it's not there, we'll move on, because they're looking for something big. Yeah. yeah. That's know. a good point, actually. But I think the large copper producers, they have more or less kept their exploration yeah. together. Not as, yeah. you know, they've lost some, but they still have an exploration team and a pretty experienced team at that, so... Yeah. We're not seeing them moving into the juniors like that. But they're not making discoveries either. I no. mean, they're drilling out brownfield stuff. Well, right? I mean, taking that into account, you know, Antofagasta did two deals with Evrom on, yeah, that's on right. uh, porphyry copper gold things in the Golden Triangle yep. around northern BC. Yep. So they are sort of making deals, mm-hmm. uh, and these are the same sort of five, eight-year sort of earn-in sort of things with staged payments yeah. uh, on exploration expenditure. So, so we are seeing that, but I, I, I take your point that Rio Tinto... And some of these other guys, I know from uh, a contact I have there that they they're actually expanding their exploration strength. Yeah. Okay. So because they shrunk yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. And now they're coming back and growing. So their their plan is more so maybe than the precious guys to do it internally. Yeah. Like they're looking more. Yeah, because so. you build up a huge knowledge base, yeah. and they can't afford for that knowledge base to leave. 
And I guess it's um, in terms of that sort of exploration is way more expensive, right, Brent? Like in yeah. terms of so if they're going to do that, they're not going to give a junior company like fifty million to blow their brains out on porphyry, right? They're well, it's expensive and it's not expensive. Yeah. There's one the difference in, in gold production. Obviously, on gold exploration, you're looking for parts per million, and yeah. here you're looking for percents. And percent. so you can drill one hole here and one hole there and say if it's not there, it's not there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you can do that sort of thing, but mm-hmm. it, when it does get into detail and you're trying to figure something out, it gets beyond an exploration company. Yeah. The, next, the, next, the next round of discoveries in the copper space, they're mostly going to be underground block gate targets, yeah. and those are deep. Yeah, those kilometer plus holes can get, and, and it's like a guess too. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, that's what you're seeing with even like Red Chris, for example, in BC, where the real value is in the block cave, but nobody's really stepped up to build it. And then you see TMOC, which you guys covered quite yeah. a bit with the Reservoir Discovery, right, is, is something that's sort of on the front burner. But it's, it's really interesting. And I mean, we, we touched on it a little bit, but I did want to talk about this electric vehicle narrative because it's sort of interesting to me. Um, it's sort of bled over into the nickel space now, and, and people are well, talking a bit about yeah. battery chemistry and, and things like that. I mean, Brent, in the past, I've talked to you, and you've been like, I, I don't do lithium or, or you know, I try to stay away from the specialty metal space. I mean, does that still stand now today? No, it doesn't. And this this is, has a lot to do with Joe. He went on a field trip down to uh, Argentina, looked at a number of lithium uh, operations and, and exploration projects. Mm-hmm. And what he came up with, well, I should let him explain it, but basically very specific situations are still potentially really valuable. Yeah, and the thing I think why Brent said that we're not doing lithium mm-hmm. is because we saw this, like this plethora of companies coming out. Okay, here's here's this lithium play. Well, I just say lithium. Yeah. You know, and yeah. or I, I say blockchain. You know, and yeah. and, and then everybody yeah. buy me. And so we were sort of like, well, we can't tell the difference between good and bad. And so we actually had to study it because yeah. we had enough subscribers asking us about it. So we said, well, is there anything else here? And then what I noticed uh, was with lithium, uh, with respect to battery technology, one thing you needed in all these different evolution of battery technology of what we know could happen all had lithium in it. The cobalt could come down quite a bit. Yes. Uh, and, and nickel can change, but mm-hmm. lithium was constant. So I said, okay, from a supply side, that's a positive. Mm-hmm. And then from, uh, sorry, from a demand side, and then from the supply side, the issue on lithium is that it's such a small market. Yeah. It's a very few people that know what they're doing. Yeah. So you definitely want to engage with the companies, with people that know what they're doing. Because yeah. that is a technological leap that can't be made up. Mm-hmm. It's even worse than gold, worse than copper, worse than most metals that we know of. Because mm-hmm. the market, you're asking this market to grow from X to 15X in about 10 years. Yeah. And yeah. most of these guys are retiring. Well, the funny thing is, is, is a lot of the people I've talked to says that if you're investing in that space, it's almost like a chemistry business. It is. It's, 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 it's not, a, you've got to get out of the mining mindset and you've got to look at it from a chemistry standpoint. Well, the thing is that, you know, the, the value add is producing lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide upon the product. Mm-hmm. If you don't produce that, you just produce a con sometimes, you don't really get as much of that value. Yeah. But producing uh, a hard rock concentrate is fairly easy. Mm-hmm. So the hard rock part is easy, but the real value add is taking that like Damasca and producing a final product. It yeah. takes more money, but it's worth it in terms of the value add, yeah. in terms of yeah. well, how much revenue you can Makes get. Sense. And then, Brent, I want to ask you, I mean, uh, we've had this discussion in the past on, on the prospect generator model. I know you've been a, uh, a proponent of it um, historically. I'm just wondering maybe a bit of an update on uh, what, how you feel about the model now moving into maybe this this new market that we're seeing where Greenfield's going to be maybe at a premium again. Um, and whether you think that over the long haul, you know, 
endorsing prospect generators has worked out. It's worked out. What we've seen, what, what's really interesting to me is that last year we saw a number of companies just go bonkers on very early stage uh, soils, you know, soil rock samples or visuals or core things. And, you know, we saw Novo, um, yeah. Garibaldi, Nunandina, uh, et cetera, et cetera, just go. So the market is primed for a discovery. Oh, yeah. yeah. I like that. Yeah. The advantage we've got with the prospect generators is that generally they're run by really competent geologists. They manage to keep their share structure tight through the downtimes, and they recognize that it takes a number of, you got to burn through a lot of properties before you make a discovery. And that's what the joint ventures help with, mm -hmm. is they bring in other people's money and do it. But the really good exploration guys that are able to recognize when a property actually starts getting better. With each round of work, it gets better and better. And they don't vent it out. They don't joint venture. They keep it and make that discovery. And then when that happens, you're sitting with a very tight share structure and good guys. And so that's where we're at now. So I think some of the prospect generators we have in our portfolio are at the stage where they've gotten to the point where this, this is good enough to drill. Mm -hmm. And the deal I've got with him is either Joe and I go look at it, and if we say, yeah, okay, we say, no, we like sell it. it. Yeah, sell it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But uh, that's, so yeah, I think it's a, a great model, and, and it has worked really well. And it's, it's interesting, because maybe one of the criticisms is that over the short to midterm, maybe they don't generate that big share, you know, you don't get that big share pop. They don't go down as much, to be fair, but, but I mean, how do you think they, they fared over this downturn? Well, okay, so two of our biggest wins, Mariana. Yeah. And um, reservoir, reservoir, yeah. were joint venture projects, yeah. Yeah. and we got 700, 800 percent gains on those yeah. because they're real discoveries. Yeah. So you know they work. And they Virginia, I, like Virginia, was on my first one. Yeah, I got over a thousand percent gain on that. And uh, Ivanhoe, yeah. You know Ivanhoe wasn't about uh, Kamoa. It wasn't about Kakushi, and it definitely wasn't about the PGM thing in South Africa. It was actually finding something like Kakula. Yeah. That's what blew that thing up to give us an 800% return. Yeah. So what we talked about is it's really that. 100% of nothing is nothing. 30% mm -hmm. mm -hmm. of something significant is really valuable for a junior with a tight share structure. So it's like anything else, really. I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of prospect generators. People love the term now. It's just, like you said, looking at team quality. And, and like any other investment, you're looking for, for yeah. that mix, right? Yeah. yeah. And um, the ability to make good deals. Yeah. yeah you can find something yeah. really good, and if you completely screw up the deal every time and ruin it for your shareholders, that's not a good thing. Now, I've had some interesting meetings, and I'd be interested in your opinion on this, where we're, we've sort of gone to the point now, and this isn't a new model, but you have these sort of like little mini mining merchant banks, like the Cisco Group, let's say, or the Oxygen Group, that sort of maybe incubate their own things. And I mean, it's interesting, because, you know, they're insiders, and they're doing this, you know, a lot of times with their own money and stuff. How do you view as a general investor if you see something with like one of those names attached to it? And you're like, okay, well, these guys have obviously done it before. They have the Virginia team, etc. But uh, you know, you know, it, they're not exactly retail deals. Maybe they don't have the best liquidity. Maybe they have a one person who owns sixty percent of the stock, right? I mean, is that like, is it good to follow those names in your opinion, or do you think it's? I mean, I I don't. Um, as a, it's hard to know somebody's motivation when they're in something, and yeah. so I'm I'm not attracted to anything because somebody the brand yeah somebody specific or some specific fund or anybody can make mistakes so really there is no smart money 
You still got to do your due diligence on the asset. You got to find out what they're doing. Do they know what they're doing? And then share structure and everything like that. So there's never a quick win in saying, oh, X is in there. Oh my God, here's all the money in the world. Yeah. Uh, So, uh, I mean, that's a responsibility we have to our subscribers. Mm -hmm. We still have to do the homework. The the background and due diligence. And it doesn't change with the name. Yeah, it doesn't change. You feel sort of the same way about that. Pretty much. I mean, certainly someone named Friedland or Marco Day or Lucas or Lucas, yeah. you know, st- yeah. when when a company comes out of their stable, you can you can be assured it's going to get noticed and such, and you can also be assured that the usual gang has been papered up early. Yeah, oh yeah, and, you know but that's fine. That's what you know. That's what I'm saying, right? But that's yeah. that's you fine. Know that. Okay, you know that. Yeah, but and then it, it again, bottom line, it comes down to all we're what we're mainly interested in is 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 a viable project that goes somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. And, and Joe, you said metal agnostic. Uh, we've had a bit of a conversation about obviously jurisdictions in the past. Another big theme I've heard all around here is people like Canada, again, specifically BC and Quebec. I've heard mentioned quite a bit, and Yukon. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm just interested in terms of, of that. Are you seeing a lot of the money flying back to the Americas now? Or? Well, it's weird because we, we're seeing a lot of them, you know, people starting up juniors looking for things in Ecuador as well. In Ecuador, oh yeah. Oh, because yeah. Ecuador has been a really well pumped thing for the last yeah. year and a half. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you're right. In terms of geopolitical risk, people are really big into Australia, big back into Canada, where they can work in uh, in the U.S. And as Brent said, you know, as that as the U.S. is opening up a bit more in terms of where you can permit that, mm-hmm. people are a little bit more excited about going to places now that people never would have thought of going to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know? And Brent, you're seeing some, something similar where, but it's funny because you talk about discovery rates, and these are the areas that have been picked over the most. So is, isn't finding something in a lot of these places going to be more expensive? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're looking deeper, more esoteric methods, but it's still happening. I mean, you know, look at Marisol, right? Yeah. They've, they've staked ground in the high Andes, massive high sulfidation epithermal systems with gold numbers at surface, and they've staked that. So there's still stuff being found in places like Chile. Yeah. Admittedly, it's, yeah, it's not an ore body at surface, yeah. but you can see the potential. Well, that's, I think, what we really need in BC specifically. I'd like love to see one of these discoveries come through because, you know, the next, the big question we have overhanging this jurisdiction is where's our next mine going to come from after Bruce Jack? And, and you know, there's there's Comes was obviously just purchased by Sotera, but, you know, that's that, that's a revival more so than one of these new discoveries we're talking about. So, all right, great. Yeah, thank well, you, man. Yeah, thank you. And uh, once again, we have been joined by uh, Brent Cook and Joe Mazumdar from Exploration Insights. Uh, you can find them at explorationinsights.com. Uh, and do check out their newsletter because it's a great source of information for all investors in the mining community. to studio thanks again to brent and joe for joining us it's always a blast to talk to both gentlemen and sort of get a feel for what they're looking at what they're covering uh as we know joe's got a background in uh sort of big mining companies he was with newmont so he has that sort of uh institutional or developmental eye for projects economic geology i think is the best and then brent's really got that uh, experience in the exploration field uh and evaluating juniors so it's always great to talk to them sort of get a, a feel for what they're looking at in terms of investment how they're feeling about the markets and uh what they're hearing not just out on the conference floor uh, but broadly across the industry so uh, thanks again to Joe and Brent from Exploration Insights remember head over to 
explorationinsights.com. Check out their newsletter. It is totally worth it. Um, but uh, you heard in there a few of the uh, sentiments and themes. Uh, we've been talking about a little bit on the podcast in terms of fundamentals, in terms of those declining discovery rates, uh, in terms of a lack of spending on exploration. So they're really bullish uh, on sort of maybe not a right away bounce back in greenfield exploration but over the long term it's going to be required we're going to have to find ways to find uh finance it uh and like i said that was a big uh, topic uh sean roizen from a cisco a uh, big topic of his as well i'm hearing that a lot on the floor uh the developmental pipeline uh, in terms of project is pretty thin uh, so it's only a matter of time until these mining companies looking to replace uh ounces tons pounds whatever you uh, want to use for metrics and grade uh, are going to start to be looking to more generative programs to finding new deposits uh, to looking at exploration innovations and trying to figure out uh, where those next stage of developmental assets are going to come from and you heard joe mention uh, we're starting to look at depth we're ta- uh, starting to talk about block caving and panel caving a bit more especially in the copper space um, and uh, we, we're talking a little bit about um, new exploration techniques and things like that, which serendipitously connects perfectly with our next segment. And I do love when things come together here at the Northern Miner Podcast, because we're going to take a trip down uh, generative exploration road here. I had a chance to sit down and talk with Geoscience BC's Bruce Madu, who is the Vice President of Minerals and Mining, and Richard Truman, who is the Director of External Relations, uh, about their Search Phase 3 project here in BC. This is a $1.7 million project uh, funded by Geoscience BC and the Northern Development Initiative Trust. A big geophysical program, I think it was about 9,600 square kilometers, uh, up near Kames, uh, near Mackenzie in northern BC. Uh, So they released the results of this big survey during the conference. So we're going to sit down and talk with Bruce uh, and Richard uh, about some of these results, what they mean, why they think they're going to drive a lot of new investment uh, into those big districts up there in northern BC where we're uh, you know we're porphyry hunting up there a lot of the time uh, but there's also a lot of gold activity obviously uh, epithermal style in the golden triangle so uh, an exciting little area so we'll talk with them but before we get into that segment I wanted to bring in Richard Corisa, our staff writer from Toronto, once again to uh, talk a little bit about our sponsor of the week, McEwen Mining. Uh, and we've heard from uh, Executive Chairman Rob McEwen over the past few weeks about McEwen Mining, the direction the company's going. Uh, once again, it is MUX on the Toronto and New York Stock Exchanges. Uh, McEwen has three operating mines, including the San Jose Mine in Santa Cruz, Argentina, the El Gallo Mine in Sinaloa, Mexico, and the Black Fox Complex in Timmins, Ontario. Uh, this is an integrated gold-silver producer that's also looking to develop the Gold Bar Project in Nevada, USA, and potentially the El Gallo Silver Project, once again in Sinaloa, Mexico. Uh, this week, Richard's going to sit down and talk with Rob about the Los Azules Copper Project in San Juan, Argentina. Uh, so another interesting one. Once again, please do head over to McEwenMining.com if you're interested in the company. Uh, but let's hear right now uh, from Richard Corisa from our Toronto office and Rob McEwen, the Executive Chairman of McEwen Mining. You also have the Los Azulas Copper Project in Argentina. What else can you tell me about that? We've done a number of preliminary economic assessments on it dating back to 2013. The latest one was driven by the fact that there's a new government in Argentina that removed a financial constraint on the project, and that was an export tax on mineral concentrates. Our prior PEAs had envisioned producing a cathode, and that way you'd be exempt from the tax, which started out at 10%. But now with the tax removed, we could go to producing a gravity concentrate. 
So that lowered the capital costs from 3.9 billion to 2.4 billion. The first 13 years of it are projected to average 414 million pounds of copper a year at a cash cost of $1.14. We're a gold-silver company, and this, so some people say, why copper? So let's just play alchemist for a moment. If you turned it, the copper and the, and the silver that's there into gold equivalents and combine it with the gold that's there, on an annual basis, you'd be producing a million ounces of gold equivalent at under $500 cost. The payback on a $2.4 billion investment is 3.6 years. The life of the mine is modeled at 36 years. At present, we're looking to see if a joint venture partner would put some cash up front that would drive it to the production decision, and then we'd be left with a 20-plus percent interest in the property. Welcome back on in. Thanks again to Richard and Rob for giving us an update on McEwen Mining's Los Azules Copper Project in Argentina. And once again, head over to McEwenMining.com. That is M-U-X on the Toronto and New York Stock Exchanges. So let's forge right on ahead to uh, my segment with Bruce Madu and Richard Truman from Geoscience BC. Once again, we're going to be talking about their Search Phase 3 project that uh, was conducted over the past year here in BC which once again covers a 9,600 square kilometer area of north central and northeastern portions of the province uh, that runs from the Kames underground mine, uh, which I visited this summer actually, prior to it being bought by Sentara uh, via their acquisition of Arico Metals for $310 million. Uh, and it runs from that Kames site down south to near Mackenzie, BC. Uh, Bruce actually does a good job of sort of breaking down where the area actually is. So what Geoscience BC did here was uh, equipped helicopters with ultra-sensitive magnetometers, flew at a constant elevation, elevation of 80 meters for more than 400,000 kilometers in the area uh, and that's the equivalent of flying around the earth so the data was collected uh, and released this week at the AME roundup conference uh, I had a chance to sit down uh, as mentioned with Bruce and Richard to talk a little bit about the reception like were people super excited etc did they see sort of a st some staking activity following the release of this data um, and uh, some of the details on what exactly uh, this tells prospectors and geologists and those who have mineral concessions up around uh, that Kames McKenzie corridor uh, so it's a really good discussion. We're going to sit down uh, with uh, Geoscience BC, break down Search 3, uh, and have a chat about what it might mean for the BC mining industry. Uh, but this will pretty much wrap up our show for the week. So once again, I do thank you so much for joining us at the Northern Miner Podcast. I apologize we're a bit late in the week this uh this episode but uh, it was just super busy at roundup and i wanted to get some of this material uh, into the podcast to really bring our sort of roundup special to life so uh, thank you for your patience as we uh, put together uh, a really good conference episode here uh, and we're going to end it with uh, my interview with geoscience bc as always please do uh, like us on uh, facebook and twitter uh, rate us on uh, itunes uh, we love those ratings as uh, we grow here at the northern miner podcast and do head over to northernminer.com check out some more in-depth coverage and long form journalism on our business but uh, as always i am matthew keevil and i would like to once again thank you for joining us here at the northern minor podcast
welcome back everybody to this week's edition of the Geology Corner. You may notice the voice has changed, but the content has remained the same. Yes, uh, our beloved Leslie Stokes, as we mentioned last week, is on maternity leave, so I will be taking over our uh, geological work for the interim here. Um, today, actually, at uh, AME Roundup, once again, uh, we are joined by Bruce Madu, Vice President of Minerals and Mining at Geoscience PC, uh, BC, and Richard Truman, the Director of External Relations. Thanks for joining us, gentlemen. Great to be here. And uh, as uh, Richard was telling me a little bit off air before we uh, sat down, one of the most exciting announcements uh, at Roundup this uh, this year was the uh, announcement of the Search 3 results from Geoscience BC. And uh, for those uh, who aren't familiar, I'd just like to, to start off here with maybe a little bit of background on Search 3 uh, and what exactly uh, it entailed uh, for Geoscience BC. Geoscience BC's uh, Technical Advisory Committee made a decision uh, about a year and a half ago about where in British Columbia could we go, do some new geoscience, produce some new data, encourage some investment and uh, perhaps some discoveries at some point in time, bring some new economic development to the citizens of uh, northern and northeastern British Columbia. They ended up uh, identifying an area about an hour's flight north of Fort, uh, hours flight north of Prince George, half an hour from Smithers or Fort St. John, a relatively remote part of BC. We said we're going to do a 9,600 square kilometer airborne survey. Wow. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, and and I mean, uh, it's sort of what went into the selection of, of the region or, or, or sort of your target uh, area? What was sort of the, the strategy behind that? This is an area that British Columbia, of British Columbia, that Geoscience BC has never surveyed before. Oh, wow. So okay. it's new to us. We've been surveying in the south and the, in, in the west and central part. Decided this year to go quite a bit further north than we've ever been before. Our technical advisory committee said, hey, this is where two of BC's most important geological terrains, Stikine and Cornell, are actually beside each other, separated by a fault that happens nowhere else in the province. These two belts hold the bulk of British Columbia's copper, gold, silver, and molybdenum deposits. Wow. What a great place to be looking. Yeah. Yeah, and it's interesting. So, so historically, was it just a question of remoteness that maybe prevented uh, more activity from happening up there, you know, previously before you guys decided to get down to business? Well, you're right. It is relatively remote. Uh, the Chemes mine opened up in in this part of the world in the mid 1990s, yeah. and it's a long drive from the, <laughs> the, the nearest town. So, bringing power into the area, bringing roads into the area, has always been both an impediment to more discoveries. But now that Chemes is uh, uh, proposing to reopen again, once again brought new attention to the area, and we're very happy to be there. And 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 so you did launch, uh, Bruce, as you said, the, the results here at Roundup. I mean, uh, for for those who maybe aren't um, as technically savvy or or, or or have a background in geoscience, what was some what were some of the big takeaways uh, from the results uh, that you saw? Some of the takeaways that uh, I saw from the results. Think of it as a, as, as a late Christmas present for explorers. <laughs> yeah. And then you open it up, it's actually a box of chocolates. Yeah. And yeah. you go, well, all right, there's square ones, there's triangles, there's nut-shaped ones, there's caramels. There's all sorts of variety in this area. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, we've provided that, that piece of paper at the top of the box of chocolates saying, those square ones over there, those might be yeah. interesting to you. Those diamond-shaped ones might be of interest to you. So the takeaway from our survey is fresh data. Yeah. It's airborne data, magnetic signature of the bedrock, yep. and this is a fundamental tool for explorers to consult yep. when they want to focus their search, when they want to make sure they don't end up with that gooey, gooey, creamy one that you didn't want out of the box of chocolates, yep. Yep. and get you into the caramels that you want to be into. 
it's a terrible metaphor, but uh... it, it works for me. It certainly <laughs> does. And, and, and uh, I mean, from that point of view, maybe uh, like we said it, from the onset, we're trying to maybe get this out to people in a way that they really kind of grasp the importance of what you've done here. And, and, and one of the questions I want to ask is, is geophysics. And, and maybe uh, we use that word all the time in our industry and people are like, well, this sounds like it's important and they use the allegory, the needle in the haystack, you gotta know where the haystack is, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, what exactly are you giving geologists when you when you do a survey like this? Well, you know, you're probably familiar with the three Gs. There's yeah. geology, geochemistry, and geophysics. Yeah. Some combination of those three often will give you the best targeting possible. Mm -hmm. So in this area, um, the geophysics is a, is a little bit old. Yeah. It's not as accurate. So we're making sure that the geophysics part of that, that triangle yeah. is solid. Uh, we now know that people will take this geophysical information, mm -hmm. they'll improve the geology of the area, yeah. there's new faults indicated, there's yeah. new intrusive rocks indicated, mm -hmm. and then they'll follow up hopefully with some chemistry, more geochemistry, you know, better understand what the geology and the geophysics are suggesting, is the chemistry going to give you some absolute answers? Are you going to take a rock or a soil sample that's going to give you an elevated level of copper or, or gold mm -hmm. or some of the other pathfinder elements. Yeah. So we're really strengthening one third of that triangle that you need to get in the right area. And that's just like, that's really fascinating. I mean, one of the themes we've heard at this conference is like the falling discovery rates, right, in our industry. And, and you hear it from the major miners and you hear it from some of the exploration community. But, but I've sort of been getting a little bit of optimism here at, at this show. I mean, uh, when you provide these results, was, was the industry excited? Did you get some really good feedback from, let's say, the, the public companies and, and, and the, the people who are going to be using this, this data? We got excitement uh, on the day of the release. Yeah. We had excitement before the release because yeah. people knew the data was coming. Yeah. And they also knew it was a good area to be in. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, there was a lot of anticipation for this particular survey. Yeah. In addition to the, uh, the people that might be new to the area, mm -hmm. we also have people that already have uh, land tenures or mineral tenures in the area. Right. Yeah. They too will have a new perspective on their projects. They'll have the regional perspective now. Mm -hmm. Rather than just the four corners of their property, they'll know what their neighborhood looks like. That might help them. Yeah, and we got a bit of a, there was a bit of a scrum, I guess, at our booth here around yesterday after we, after we made the announcement. So, kind of 60 or 70 people sat in on the technical session and listened to, to Bruce and to uh, our colleague Todd's thoughts on it as well. But afterwards, coming to the booth, looking for that data. And we know that this sort of stuff works. Yeah. Um, you look back at the other geophysical surveys we've done in the past, I'd speak to some of the exploration companies, and they will, they will be quite honest in the fact that their, their project is only there because of the data that they got from geoscience piece. So we hope that that will be the case with Search 3 as well. And I know I think people have been looking at some of the, um, the claims that have been staked over the past couple of days. Um, our GAS guy oh, there's oh, there this go. morning, and yeah. we think there's some, uh, we think there's, there's some activity happening there already. So yes, for new folks, and as Bruce said, for the folks that are already in that region, it gives them something new to look at too. The best part of the release so far, yeah. we had a cake last night. <laughs> it's, out, it's out on social media. If you didn't get a piece, you can uh, look at it. Uh, we picked the cake image very carefully. Yeah. It's an area of the survey with 60 uh, known documented mineral occurrences, wow. 33 of which were not under tenure at the time of cake making. Yeah. And the new data is very suggestive that people should look at those. So if you didn't see the cake, yeah. uh, not, you didn't miss out on it because the, there's images of it on social media. The staking cake now. The staking people, cake. Yeah. <laughs> people are going to go out and stake those areas right away. Um, and I mean, from a broader point of view, it's interesting because um, 
you know, we, we hear so much about, as I said, the sort of difficulty the industry's had raising venture capital for Greenfield over the last five years, um, and sort of the importance that public geoscience can play in, in that process. I mean, obviously we've recently had an election in BC, there's, there's new, can be new people in power and things like that. I mean, it's part of what you do just sort of to communicate how important this process is to continue to continue pushing this forward, that these, these, these important public geoscience programs? You know, c communicating the importance of what we do mm -hmm. doesn't come from us, it yeah. comes from the communities that we work with yeah. and, and the leadership of, uh, of governments, uh, leadership of municipal governments, uh, indigenous communities. We believe they're telling us how important what we do is, so mm -hmm. that's, that's our validation. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look back on the success the discoveries that have come out of public geoscience, it, it speaks for itself. About every dollar spent reveals about five, or realizes about five dollars in additional investments. We think that that's quite meaningful in itself. And, and as a good example of that, Search3 is a good example because Search3 was funded in part by the Northern Development Initiative Trust, based out of Prince George. They're only going to fund things when they have support from the communities wow. that, are, that are involved with them. And so that tells yeah. you that local government knows that this kind of stuff works. And then increasingly what we're trying to figure out as well is, on the indigenous side of things, mm -hmm. you produce this data, how can they use it? Whether they're trying to protect a particular area of their territory, or if they're looking to bring in economic development into an area, how can they take this data so they're involved in the whole process right, right from the very start? And I mean, it's sort of that old, you can never have too much data, right? In yeah. any scientific field, they'll tell you that. And I mean, uh, from the point of view, I guess, of, of I don't want to say forward-looking statements because we're not doing any disclosure here. Uh, but uh, what sort of uh, what's coming up next for Geoscience BC, and what uh, what sort of things are you going to be looking at in the in the, in 2018? I'll let, I'll let Richard give you a little bit of an insight uh, with regard to our strategic planning. Yeah, and then maybe I'll follow that up with a little bit of a technical uh, sure. yeah, insight. Sure. So we're going through a process at the minute of putting together a strategic plan for the next five years. Okay. So basically, going through a process of trying to figure out what are we doing right, what are we doing wrong, what do we need to be doing more of, what do we need to be doing. Um, it's quite a few things, ways, ways that people can get involved and basically the more people get involved, the better that plan is going to be, the better our work is going to be. So we've already run um, a few focus groups, um, we've got some more coming up and if anyone wants to join in on those they can go onto the website at geosciencebc.com sure. and find out about those. We're also doing phone interviews with people and then there's also a really quick online survey that's taking people about six minutes to complete. So far, we've had about 350 people, something like that, have taken part wow. in that process. We're hoping for a lot more. We've got a few weeks to go yet. All of that feedback will guide our strategic plan, will guide our scientific plan, will guide our, um, will, will guide the plan for the for the organisation year to year as well. Oh, good. Okay. So, the more people can get involved in that, the better we think our work is going to be. Whether it's someone that works in exploration, whether they're in government, local government, indigenous area, whatever it happens to be. And where Geoscience BC is going with regard to uh, boots on the ground stuff. Yep. Boots on the it's ground. It's a big secret. Yeah. <laughs> no, our, our technical advisory committee uh, is uh, going to be active again starting in the, in the spring and, and summer and fall of this year. And we'll be looking at uh, whether there might be a search for where that might yep. be located, what, what uh, innovations uh, we might pursue. We love innovations in, in, in chemistry and in geology. And we fund quite a bit of those kind of projects. So. Uh, not only is there strategic planning underway, so is uh, a fairly fresh perspective on where we will be going with regard to uh, our next mineral programs. I can give you a few hints. Okay. Some of those <laughs> some of those hints are uh, are that uh, Geoscience BC is growing up. Okay. We're recognizing that the discovery uh, of mineral deposits is just part of the cycle, mm -hmm. and that there is the the, the development of, of of a mine and its ultimate closure. 
and there's a role for us to play in that full life cycle. So we're looking at a little bit of research around the closure of mines, we're looking at a bit of a little research around metallurgy, you know, how do you actually get the minerals out of the rock? Finding a rock full of, uh, of metal is, is uh, just the start of the process. It's getting that metal out in, a, in an economical fashion, and what do you do with the tailings that come from the crushed rock? Mm -hmm. How do you mature that rock through the mine process and end up with a mine uh, closure at the end that uh, leaves the land in as best a state as possible? And are, you're, you're, you're mentioning a lot of themes we hear on the podcast pretty often uh, in terms of, you know, you're not looking so much at point solutions anymore, but a, a, a mine is an actual cycle or end-to-end. Or -end process, right? And, and we're hearing that a lot in our business in terms of footprints and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But you got out ahead of me, Bruce, because my next question, and I always like to ask this on the podcast, is about innovation. Um, and we hear quite a bit about it, uh, both at, like you said, at the mine level, at the exploration level. Um, so maybe, is there any sort of tease or, 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 or type of uh, technology you've seen that's sort of exciting for you? Uh, any innovations you see coming down the pike for explorers or miners that uh, might make a difference in the next, let's say, 10 to 20 years that, that's exciting you? Yeah, I, what I think is uh, our ability to uh, detect deeper and deeper deposits, yeah. that really has to be the, 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 the innovation that everyone has to pursue. Mm -hmm. It's known globally that grades are declining and uh, the easy near-surface uh, deposits have been identified. Mm -hmm. So we've got to go deeper and we've got to find stuff that's lower grade and then put it into an economic uh, development cycle. So we're doing some really innovative work around halogen elements. Oh, cool. So uh, normally you would sample soil or rocks, physical things you can get your hands on, yeah. send it off to the laboratory. Uh, a few weeks later, you get some results. Well, we're, th we're wondering if you can actually uh, look for other elements that might give you some indication. So things like chlorine, fluorine, bromine, and iodine, yeah. things that are normally in a gaseous state, well, they exist in and around ore deposits as well, wow. or mineral deposits as well, yeah. and they make their way up to the surface. Yeah. So last year we uh, released a report uh, on a project that we did where we were sampling snow, wow. we were sampling the fluids that trees sweat out, yeah. we were sampling buried carbon collectors, wow. uh, looking for these halogen elements. And some of that research uh, is showing us that you can actually sample snow and get wow. some sense as to what, what, which of these halogen elements are coming through, uh, through the soil and into the snow uh, from, uh, from the subsurface. Uh, we had a program a few years ago that uh, Northern Miner covered where we sampled the tops of trees. Yep, I remember so that not even walking around the ground anymore, but actually sampling treetops, yeah. snipping them off, sending them to the laboratory and seeing what the trees can tell us about the subsurface. No sooner did Northern Miner run that article than we started to get calls from drone people. Oh, there saying, you go. Saying, yeah. cool, yeah. I, th I think we can adapt a drone to go out there and snip trees and bring you back the samples. So you don't know to need a helicopter, that's a big part, right? Yeah, it's expensive. <laughs> Helicopter's expensive. Yeah, yeah. How about a drone, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so innovation nets innovation. Yeah. And, and if we can play a role in that, that's great. Yeah, well, maybe we'll hear about snow grids soon, right? We can, we can have some <laughs> snow grids. So, well, gentlemen, thank you so much again for uh, joining me. This has been uh, Richard Truman, Director of External Relations, and Bruce Madu, Vice President of Minerals and Mining from Geoscience BC. Do hop over to geosciencebc.com. Uh, you can check out the latest press release on uh, Search 3 as well as the other initiative Geoscience BC is doing. Uh, gentlemen, thank you again so much for joining me today. So thank good you. to be here. Thank you.